My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. I'm really psyched to welcome Michael Stern to the show today. Michael is, like me, a student of integral theory, uh, a framework for understanding human nature, the world, the universe, and everything in it, developed by Ken Wilber. He found, is the founder of a coaching and consulting company called Integral Alignment, and he has spent much of his life immersing himself in different worldviews, from traveling in Spain, practicing kickboxing in Thailand, studying Buddhism in Nepal. He is someone who grounds his work in a recognition that our worldviews are always too limited, that we always have more ways to learn, to grow, and to evolve. He's also the co-founder with my, one of my previous guests, Chelsea Simpson, episode three. He and Chelsea co-founded something called the Emerging Leaders Project. And that's at the heart of what we talk about today and the heart of, of Michael's work. This idea that we find ourselves alive at a time of unprecedented disruption. That disruption is actually the, the new normal. We keep talking about the new normal. Well, the new normal is disruption. The COVID-19 pandemic, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations, all of these are highlighting and amplifying the complex challenges we already face and will continue to face. And many of us exist at one end of the spectrum that Michael calls the resistant parish end of the spectrum, where where we, we try and fight evolution and perish as a result. But there's another set of possibilities, one that Michael calls adapt and thrive. And those are characterized by the joyful abundance of a unified yet diverse global society where we exist in harmony with each other, with nature, with technology, and with ourselves. So if that adapt and thrive future calls to you, then you're in the right place. So let's get settled in. And hear what Michael Stern has for us. Michael, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Hello. <laughs> good to nice see to you. Nice to be here. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We've had now a couple opportunities to connect, and I really enjoyed the first time. The first time we spoke, it was if my memory serves me and my memory has, has blurred a bit in the past few months as time all kind of collapses yeah. and expands. Has and yeah. <laughs> but my sense is that we were before much of what we're experiencing now, the pandemic either hadn't reared its head yet or was just starting to. And 
some of the visible, visceral elements of the protests around systemic racism and all of the impacts of that weren't here right now. And now it's June 9th. A lot has shifted since last you and I spoke a few months ago. So I want to just check in because I encounter you as someone who really cares about helping leaders help other people thrive. And one of my get former guests, Chelsea, is your, is your co-founder with something called the Emerging Leaders Project. And we had a lovely conversation. But I want to just check in, like, as you sit with where you are now versus where, we, where you were when last time we, we talked, what's alive for you around leadership? Like, what are you thinking about as someone who helps leaders become better leaders, especially helps young leaders become better leaders in the midst of all of this complexity? Well, I think one obvious question I'm sitting with is what does it mean to be a leader? Um, A lot of the people that I work with may not actually identify themselves as a leader. They may not fit the sort of traditional criteria for how we think of what it means to be a leader. Um, But in my view, they are part of this growing movement of individuals um, from all over the world and a variety of backgrounds and a variety of interests and ways that they want to engage with the world who are essentially attempting to pioneer a new story, maybe we could say, um, a new system, maybe we could say. Again, these aren't necessarily words or or ways of thinking about um, what they're doing that that the people I work with would even necessarily have for themselves. This is my perspective on their experience. And, And part of why I have that perspective is because I encounter it so often. But often when I speak with the individuals, they don't quite have the awareness that there are so many other individuals having a similar experience. Mm. Um, so this, this kind of isolation and sense of being um, frustrated and I think there's also often a sense of kind of shame and guilt, like something's wrong with me or or I should be better or further or something like that. But when you sit where I'm sitting and you hear this so many times, at some point it becomes clear that it's not really anything to do with these individuals, that they're doing something wrong or that they're somehow incompetent or you know it's some kind of personal shortcoming 
but that what we're talking about is a kind of systemic cultural issue and that each of these people in their own ways are trying to lead themselves mm. and therefore I think lead all of us into something different that represents um, these longings that they have for living more authentically, not feeling like they have to make a choice between supporting themselves financially and doing work that they care about, um, feeling like they have relationships that are values-based and supportive of their highest intentions for themselves, things like that. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, I see many, many leaders out there who are committed to doing the courageous work of building a better life for themselves and a better world for their community. And um, I think that's a pretty good definition of leadership. So I think right now with everything going on, more and more people are recognizing some of the things that are not working and feeling called to participate in this process. Yeah. When we look around and see all the things that are not working and see them so clearly and painfully, there's a, a response that can look something like hopelessness or paralysis. It can feel like, what, what can I do as one individual in the face of that? But what I hear you speaking to is there's another possibility, there's another response there that might in some way, shape, or form connect to this recognition that you're actually not alone, that there are lots of other people who are seeing those painful realities and want to do something about it and just don't quite know how yet. And I wonder how much are, what kind of work are you doing to help, or is it part of your work to help those individuals who are not going to stay stuck in hopelessness, but also are feeling the pressure of like, how do I do all of this by myself or whatever version of it they're feeling? How are you helping them see the pattern that you see because you happen to sit in the chair that you sit in? And if they see that pattern, does it help them? Does that, does that inspire them in some way? Mm. One thing I do is I share my own story. <laughs> Because a big reason why I do the kind of work that I do is because I'm somebody who feels like I would benefit a lot yeah. from the kind of thing that I'm trying to create in the world, you know. So it's a bit of a selfish endeavor, I admit. But I feel okay with that because I've learned that that's pretty common. A lot of people are motivated to create new things because they have a need that they can't adequately meet with what already exists. Mm. And so they go out there and they try to create it for themselves, but also for everyone else too. And 
So often by sharing a little bit of my background and my journey with people, that creates a first connection around, okay, there are some similar themes here and this person has struggled with some of the same questions and challenges that I feel like I'm struggling with currently. And so maybe, uh, maybe there's something. Yeah. Could you take us into that story a little bit in whatever way you're comfortable? Sure. 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 Yeah. So I, typically start with just kind of my origin context, which was that I grew up in New York City, a pretty um, conventional upper middle class kind of upbringing. I went to a, a very competitive high school where the dominant narrative was very much about um, academic achievement and excellence and sort of checking off the boxes for, you know, good grades, all the advanced courses, extracurricular activities, things like that, um, all with the intention to sort of get into a very short and specific list of colleges and kind of repeat the cycle there and then move on to a very short and specific list of professions and companies and sort of repeat the cycle there and then sort of have a certain kind of family and then put your kids through the whole process (laughs) all over again. (laughs) And um, not to make that wrong or bad, but I felt like from a pretty early age, I just recognized that it wasn't for me. And so when I was about 16, I was struggling in many ways personally, um, but also met my first mentor who was a teacher at that school, but who was kind of a radical in some ways. He was, uh, he was an Italian guy who grew up in the Bronx and was the first person in his family to go to college and was at Columbia in the 60s during the student protests and was mm. known for making um, possibly inappropriate references to things like weed and alcohol in his classes. <laughs> um, but he was... Um, he was an important figure for me at that time because he saw some of the same shadows of the culture that I was in and he spoke to them and being somebody who was in a position of authority that helped affirm my sense of some of what felt uncomfortable to me Mm. in that space. Mm -hmm. In particular, he talked about education as being a whole person enterprise and not just about getting the right kind of grades and the right kind of classes. And so he didn't give us tests as far as like memorizing information and things like that. He gave us more sort of like prompts for self-inquiry and our grades were based on kind of like wrestling with these questions 
um, his class was the history of religion. And he would talk about what he called baby religion, which was this idea that, you know, my religion is right and your religion is wrong. And in order to prove it to you, I'm going to sort of wipe out your whole culture (laughs) Um, because God is on our side, you know. And so he oriented us more towards a kind of interfaith comparative religion perspective where the driving question was sort of what can we learn from these great wisdom traditions about what it means to be human. Mm. And so he planted that seed for me at that time, which ripened over several years. And eventually the, the other seed he planted for me was traveling, which was a huge part of my life because that gave me a chance to experience other cultures and other value systems that again affirmed for me my intuitive sense that where the way people thought about life where I was growing up wasn't necessarily the only or the best way to think about life. Mm. Um, I remember one time living in Madrid, I was studying there and I lived with this, this woman whose job basically was hosting study abroad students So she had seen a lot of us coming through and she said, um, you know, one thing is that I realize it it seems like in America, you guys kind of live to work and here we work to live. It's not all just about our job and making money and the career thing. So being a kind of 20 year old who was constantly asked the question of what I was going to do when I left college and things like that and never having a good answer to that. (laughs) Uh, That was really helpful to hear. And so those two um, teachings around this kind of comparative religion and this kind of alternate cultures and worldviews were very fundamental for me. And eventually led me to decide to live in Nepal for about nine months where I was studying Tibetan Buddhism in a very kind of immersive environment. I was at a pretty unique school where students would come from all over the world to to study that tradition in a context that was kind of a hybrid of a traditional Tibetan monastery and a modern Western university. And everybody there was not only just studying, but also practicing. So that was a really transformative time for me, which left me with a lot of, you know, deep insights and things that really kind of fueled a lot of my understanding from that point on. But I also struggled to figure out how to reconcile that experience with going back to New York and Mm. now being a 25 year old who wasn't about to move to a monastery or live in a cave or something like that. So I still needed to find a job and figure out how to be a quote unquote normal person. (laughs) But now I had this whole other experience that in some ways felt much more real and true then, you know, I had that real sort of reverse culture shock of coming back to America and being like, 
oh my God, I see everything that is wrong with this picture, you know? Yeah. So that was then kind of the starting point for the rest of my life, which was trying to figure out how to bridge the two, um, both in myself, how do I live a life that kind of synthesizes and integrates these two parts of me? But also I started to see how that was a much larger collective question too, because I didn't want to, at some point I got to a place where I realized that rejecting money and business and science and technology and saying that that was everything that was wrong with the world was not really the answer. Um, but that there was some kind of, again, this kind of synthesis or this integration that could happen where we could use the tremendous power of Western civilization to, to create a world that was infused with these more like Eastern spiritual values that I had come into contact with of wisdom and compassion and, you know, kindness and clarity and things like that. So that is my ongoing question and my ongoing project. And when I work with these emerging leaders, whether it's as a coach or we also am, we're growing our community of practice as well. And so I think what I try to look for is how do we balance the internal work with the external work so that we are both um, becoming a more authentic and integrated individual but also expressing that fully through our work so that that ripples out in different ways mm. and can then mm. create benefit for the people around us mm. thank you for sharing that michael there's so much in there that really moved me one thing i'm tuning into is is the invitation you you your mentor gave you to pay attention do you remember his name? Do you, do you is he still? Yes. Pasquale DeVito. We're still in touch. Ah, so that's awesome. That's a, yeah. That's a lovely relationship in my life. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so just sort of, it seems like the invitation he gave you to look at things from a vantage point of what can we learn and how can we integrate as opposed to who's the winner and who's the loser has continued to show up now as we fast forward to this present moment of, how can I integrate who I'm becoming inside of me with what I'm doing in the world rather than ha being forced to choose either I'm going to be a contemplative who goes to a cave or I'm going to be a business person who sacrifices my inner life. I just think that's a really important truth that I hope that it sounds like you're helping all of the people you work with live into that. It's not an either or it's a, journey towards integration and towards cohesion. Is that right? I think that's right for a lot of people. I think I, I try to be mindful of projecting that belief or sort of my own experience onto my clients, because I think for some people, 
a certain amount of um, a certain kind of boundary between work and life to use that language uh, works for them and that's fine you know um, for other people they are just super committed to the inner work and the outer work it's not on their radar so much you know so I have a lot of I, I try to really respect where people are at mm. and um, just support them with what feels like their next step, not mm. what I think they could or should be doing. Um, but that being said, I do think that more and more people are leaning into that territory that you described where they want their public life and their work life and their social life and their relationship life and their private life and their inner life. They want all of those things to be one sort of coherent whole that all feed into each other. Um, and they want to participate in this very exciting, but sort of scary time that we're in where we can see things falling apart, but we can also see new things being built. And um, we each might have a particular kind of role to play in that, but we might not know exactly what that role is or how to mm. do it or how to balance it with the other things that we've got going on. And so those are the people that I find myself most um, alive with when I get to, to work with them. Oh, that's awesome. I was thinking just yesterday, actually, that, you know, I use the word coach, which isn't it fun? Like, we could have a whole separate conversation that I don't want to have right now. But, like, it's funny that we've landed on the word coach. It's such an American sport, you know, we're such a sports terminology world. And, and a lot of people hear the word. Ten years ago, if, someone, if you told someone you were a coach, they'd be like, oh, cool. Like, what sport do you coach? Right. And there are already, of course, people who are identified as executive coaches or whatever it was. But now it's like a place where you can tell people you're a coach and they kind of get it, which I love because I feel like I've found work that I can, that does, that moves towards what you just described that coherence between inner and outer, the ways in which who I socialize with are also the kinds of people that I want to learn from, are also the kinds of people that I want to help support. Uh, and the point I'm trying to get at is I was thinking about my daughter and I was thinking about like, you know, she's two and a half. She's not yet aware enough of the outer world to like, for her life is pretty awesome right now because we have some, you know, the privileges of shelter and food and finances to keep her safe. But like, what world will she grow up in and what roles, as you said, might she like possibly take on that don't even exist yet. Right. And the same way that to a certain extent, you and I have kind of taken on these roles or that, that are called coach, I'll put that in quotes, that didn't quote-unquote exist yet. So there's sort of this way in which I love that you're inviting people into the possibility that they can journey towards that coherence without needing to know exactly what the job description is, <laughs> right? And that's actually kind of, that, that for a while, that can be scary, but when you when you expand enough to see what's possible there, it actually becomes kind of exciting that, oh, wait a minute. 
that cycle that Michael described where it's like you do the classes and you go to a good high school and then you go to a good college and you get a good job that actually feels sometimes like a meat grinder or something that's just like tearing me down. I actually don't have to even play that game. And the game that I'm going to try and play over here is something that's a lot more creative. It's a lot more discovery oriented. Is that resonating with you? Yes, very much. And I would just emphasize that it's not only creative, it's hard. (laughs) It takes courage. Um, Partially because we're trying to do it at a time when this, the, the, the momentum, the inertia of that other narrative, of that system is still very strong. You know, the conditioning of that is still very heavy for a lot of us. And so to make that choice to go down that path, that's for me what I was saying before, like that's an act of leadership, you know? Mm. Mm. And um, I, one of the other things that I will often say to people when we start to work together around kind of normalizing their experience and and also about uh, why I work with the type of people that I work with. I think if we look back and sort of compare our generation to previous generations, we could say something along the lines of the years of being in your sort of let's just say 25 to 35 as a kind of broad generalization um, have always come, not always, but for a long time have come with questions of my career. What kind of lifestyle do I want to have starting a family? You know, that's, that's the early adulthood stage where we're beginning to think in concrete terms about the rest of our life. You know, what kind of a future do I want to start building the foundation for now, right? And that's still true. I think people are still asking those questions, but we're doing it in a context where it's very hard to know what the world is going to look like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. Like you said, maybe the job that I thought I was going to do 10 years ago doesn't even really exist anymore, you know? And maybe the thing that in 10 years I'll really want to do doesn't exist now. So I don't even know about it, you know? So there's a level of complexity and uncertainty that's real for these kind of emerging adults that I think is new and makes those questions even more challenging. And so that I think, yeah, like we were saying, it's, it's both a creative space and a, and a space that is very conducive to self-discovery and um, being open to possibilities that we may not have considered previously, uh, but we really need support. I think that's my personal belief that, that it's not a 
thing to try to do by ourselves. Yeah. And so as a coach, I can obviously provide a certain type of support for people in that space, but I really feel strongly about community as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other big part of my work is creating spaces for collective intelligence to work with these questions. Yeah. So say more about that. I get the sense that you are finding all of these disparate people who might feel a little bit lost or lonely or all of the things you described at the top of our call. And it sounds like you're not only supporting them one-on-one, but you're actually bringing them together in communities. What does that look like when what you call their collective intelligence starts to emerge? What possibilities do you see there that that doesn't happen in the sort of traditional ways in which we connect with people? So one of the reasons I became so fascinated with this collective intelligence idea was because I spent a lot of times in different practice group type of spaces, you know, mutual inquiry kinds of spaces where I was kind of witnessing what can happen when people turn their attention to um, to questions of like healing and evolution. So in other words, if if we if we all hold a question together or a theme, let's say, um, we open up the possibility that just by being in the space together, we can experience a certain kind of movement in ourselves that I'm not actually sure if it's just me Mm. or I'm kind of empathizing with something that somebody else is experiencing or that we're all sort of having a a shared experience. Uh So there's something very interesting to me about whatever is going on there, you know? Mm. And so one example is like, um, you know, I'm in a group and let's say a men's group and somebody is talking about their relationship with their father and they're describing something that's very personal to them, you know, but as they're describing it and as they're doing their own self-exploration, what they're sharing begins to bring up all of my own questions and, and tensions and emotions about my relationship with my father. And some of it is similar, but some of it is different. And then by the time they've finished their exploration, I've, somehow come to my own (laughs) insights or had my own sort of healing experience. And maybe I'll share that with the group. And then suddenly the whole group is like kind of in this place together. Mm. So uh, somehow it feels more efficient to me, if I can use that word, which I feel a little skeptical about. Um, But it's like, I can... Maybe there's a better way to say it. I don't have to do it all myself, you know? 
if I if I enter into these group spaces, we can actually support each other's process in a way that's so much more powerful than if I just have that attitude of like I have to do this all myself, you know. Yeah. And then there's this other layer of kind of creativity and innovation that I think also becomes possible when you invite multiple perspectives into a, a conversation about a particular challenge that we might all be facing. So for me, and actually I'll add one more piece, which is kind of maybe the first one, which is like <laughs> the experience of, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. Yeah. And actually it's okay for me to have all these questions and to, and to feel all these feelings, you know, yeah. that's maybe the first thing that happens. Um, and then from there we can do this kind of collective inquiry that I think on one hand can lead to deep inner transformation. And on the other hand can lead to all kinds of interesting collaborative synergy um, that gives rise to amazing new things in the world, you know? Yeah. When we talked last time, yeah, I'm getting excited because one of the things we talked about, which was maybe just a couple of dudes getting nerdy about, about stuff that we both like, but there's this idea that if we are, if we're thinking about a future that we can't predict, which is feels easy to say when we're talking about a future 100 years from now or 200 years from now, but as you said, it really might be 10 years from now or 20 years from now. The, lo the loneliness associated with trying to navigate that future, if you say, I'm going to do it on my own, seems overwhelming. And the impossibility of you doing it on your own seems overwhelming. So I'm really excited by this idea that with the community of, of what you call practice or, you know, any kind of community where you have allies who are helping you hold steady in the midst of difficulty, change, and ambiguity, that's, that in and of itself can help you sort of weather the storm. But then there's this next step where new ideas start to just spontaneously emerge because you're not relying solely on your single intelligence to solve for problems. Suddenly you have five people, 10 people, 20 people, all of whom see this issue either in a slightly different way or a dramatically different way. Uh, and now you're not looking at a, a two-dimensional piece of paper that you've written the issue down on. Suddenly it's a faceted diamond and everyone can kind of come in at it and look at it. And one of the things we got nerdy about was like, well, what would that mean for us if we're really serious about becoming a species that is not, is not only going to to protect ourselves on this planet and start to figure out how the hell to live in harmony with our planet instead of just consuming it, but also then to become a space-faring species. Like there are literally right now people who are planning to put people on Mars. And it's not so far-fetched that, that, that you and I could still be alive when that happens. And it's certainly not so far-fetched that our children uh, will be alive when that happens. And it's maybe not outside the realm of possibility that one of our children is one of those people, right? And so, so there's something around like what we would need to be a species that could do that successfully without like destroying ourselves in the process because the demands 
of that would be way too much for any single intel. Like there's no, there's no space astronaut hero is going to come along and be like, here's how I get to Mars. That's like, that's the work of hundreds of thousands of millions of people working together across such complexity to make something like that happen. So that's exciting for me as a possibility. I just would love to hear what's coming up for you as we circle back to that in the context of what we're talking about now. Yeah. Well, first I want to share that a few days ago, I watched the SpaceX, um, the, uh, which one? Dragon? Was it called Dragon? Yeah. The, the launch that yeah. they that they tried once and called off and then successfully did, which is awesome. Um, and I was thinking as I was watching it with my daughter, uh, you know, you could be one of the people who has the possibility to buy a ticket to go to Mars, you know? And I was just, I didn't tell her that. <laughs> but she does talk about wanting to go to the moon. So we'll see. But yeah, it's it is wild and I mean I I guess one question I have is one thing I think about is what's the relationship between the impulse to colonize Mars and the neglect that we've shown to our yeah. home planet so yeah. far. Yeah. Um because I think something in that dynamic really needs to be looked at if our spacefaring adventures are going to be um, useful. So just to kind of bookmark that maybe for a future exploration. <laughs> That's a but, important, um, important question. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. Mars ain't no earth. That's for sure. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to just replicate our imperialist tendencies throughout the solar system you know that wouldn't be too fun well there's also just the like the there's a there's a sort of pragmatism too of, of the amount of work it's going to take for us to make the planet that we live in which is a relatively rare kind of planet that allows for the, the abundance and diversity of life that we take for granted and that that we keep sort of absentmindedly scrubbing out here on this planet like the amount of work it's going to take for us to stop that and return to some kind of healthy harmony is massive, but it would pale in the comparison to the amount of work it would take to make Mars even approachably uh, hospitable and habitable, like, like habitable compared to Earth, right? So there's sort of like that dynamic you're pointing to not only has colonial and imperial implications, it also has just like real pragmatic, there's no escape route here. <laughs> Like we can't just getting off Earth because Earth has gone gone to pot is not really a viable solution for the future of humanity. If on the other hand we can figure out how to do it on Earth, that that then increases the odds quite a bit in my mind that we can do it on other planets that are going to ask more of us in terms of our ability to adapt to uh, all of the complexities of a, a world that doesn't have our atmosphere and our diversity of life and all of that stuff. Yeah, Earth has made it pretty easy for us. <laughs> yeah, it really has. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. And we're making yeah. it harder for Earth to make it easy for us right now. Very much. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, 
it's, you know, the fact that we're navigating a global health pandemic, um, we've got global demonstrations against uh, systemic oppression and injustice, certainly along racial lines, but you could say that about lots of other lines, cultural lines too. Um, then we've got this kind of advancement in our in our space exploration program. So there's a lot going on, you know. <laughs> and my my business partner Chelsea, she likes to say the age of the individual superhero is over, and mm. it's Avengers time. And so I think that say that one more time. The age of the individual superhero is over, and what is it? It's it's Avengers time. Avengers you know? time. Yes. The only Avengers way we're going to meet these challenges is by coming together as a team and uh, combining our superpowers. You know, and I think that's really kind of at the heart of our work with the Emerging Leaders Project is to support everybody in developing their own superpowers and then being a part of this team that recognizes the big, big challenges that we're all facing because we cannot meet them by ourselves. And even the idea that we are supposed to meet them by ourselves is already itself a symptom of this paradigm of like hyper-individualism and separation and fragmentation. Mm. So I think acknowledging that, um, you know, the strategy of attending to these issues as a community is already a practice of moving out of our conditioning if that makes Mm, sense. And mm. so we need to learn, or maybe in some cases relearn, um, how to be a community and how to unlock this creative, collaborative potential um, in such a way that we don't sacrifice our individuality and our autonomy and our uniqueness. You know, it's not about conforming. It's about the the way in which I cannot be fully myself unless you are fully yourself too, you know? Mm. That's mm. what I think we're sort of aiming for. It's beautiful. We're bumping up against our time boundary, but I'm feeling really excited by that invitation that that we might be able to meet ourselves fully by meeting someone else in their fullness. And I'm really grateful that you and Chelsea and so many other of our peers and mentors are out there trying to do this work with a real deep commitment to humanity. So thank you for being someone who's standing for that, Michael. Mm. Likewise, same to you. Thank you for creating this space of inquiry and creativity. And, you know, I very much consider you part of our emerging leaders team. So I'm grateful to be in an exploration and, and 
be on the journey with you. Yeah, me too. It feels good to be part of the Avengers team. Thanks for letting me know that. <laughs> Where if people are moved by what they've heard and they and they and they're going, he just described me like, yeah, that's me. I'm I'm here on my own. I need some help. Where can where can they find more about you? So my personal coaching website is integralalignment.com. Integralalignment.com. The work that I do with Chelsea, the Emerging Leaders Project, our website for that is emergingleaders.us, emergingleaders.us. And um, that site is still sort of under construction, but it's there if you want to check it out. And yeah, I'm very eager right now to connect with anybody who resonates with that mission. Um, I, I need to be engaging as much as possible with whoever is out there that feels a sense of resonance with, with what we're describing. Yeah. Um, so I hope people will feel free to reach out if they want to. Yeah, me too. And I think you said at the top of this call, it's like this recognition that by, by creating what we need for ourselves in the world, we also can then create what other people need. And, just love how you and Chelsea are leaning into that. It's a beautiful thing, man. Mm, thank you. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening, and looking forward to hearing you all again soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.